You're listening to a Fat Cat Media podcast. This is The Road Less Travelled, presented by Nikki Shea. The Road Less Travelled. G'day everyone, welcome to the Road Less Travel podcast. Nikki Shea back in the seat with you again for another adventure on the road. This is an Australian podcast which documents and captures the Australian spirit of travel, discovery and adventure and you can join me each week where together we'll experience adventures of all around Australia with glimpses into a world that I guess I could describe that's faded into history and we talk about the people, the places and the ways of life. And there's always a story involved each week as we're out caravanning, four-wheel driving, fishing, camping, exploring, doing some gold detecting, a little bit of cooking, and I guess going over the places, history, and visiting destinations all rolled into each episode. And if you've got something you think we should feature, review, discover, or discuss, or explore, simply drop us a line. You can do that via our Facebook page, which is the Roadless Travel Podcast. We're also on Instagram. Our website is fatcatmedia.com.au, and you can email us fatcat at iinet.net.au, or you can send a uh, direct message either on Instagram or Facebook, and we'll certainly get back to you. Now, this is episode number 41 of season two of the Roadless Travel Podcast, and I was having a look back through my notes over our previous, uh, well, we've been doing this for just over a year, but our previous uh, first season and in when three quarters of a way through our second season we've covered plenty of ground and as I said in the introduction if you've got something that you think we should feature discuss or you've just done a trip please get in contact with us I'd love to grab your feedback but it's on with this week's show and I've got to say a massive thanks again to Artie Stevens and the team down there at Radio Bayside down around the Morty Alec region of Melbourne they are big supporters of the show and we really appreciate their their support their encouragement and also the mentoring as well so a big shout out to Artie Stevens and uh, greatly appreciate it. If you would like to become involved with the show, if you've got, as I said, um, you've got some stories that you want to share with us, please do so. And also, if your local community radio station wants to take on the Road Less Travel podcast as part of their regular programming, simply drop us a line, which is fatcat at iinet.net.au, or you can give me a call on 042 It is into now, episode number 41. What are we talking about this week? In Bluebird, Donald Campbell has set a new world record. And this was the scene at Lake Eyre when they were all set for the attempt. Two million pounds or more has gone into the jet-powered car and the preparations. And 70 British firms have contributed to the cost. But Lake Eyre proved difficult. Until the surface was levelled and dry, it would have been suicidal to attack the record. At last everything's okay and the man with the unique combination of courage, patience and determination for the attempt receives the mascot from his wife Tonya. It's a tense moment, but Donald Campbell has known many like it. The huge engine starts up. The rule is that two runs have to be made, one each way along the measured mile. To get up speed and slow down afterwards entails a run of about 15 miles. was successful. Now Campbell hurtles over the salt flats in the reverse direction. To the joy of everybody, a new record was set at 403.1 miles an hour. They always spoke so proper, sounded like Englishmen, even the Australian broadcasters at the time, sort of clipped accent. That was about Donald Campbell. And they, of course, were referring to Lake Air. We'll get to that in a little bit later on, on uh, discussions about... Um, why we're talking about Lake Eyre, but if you've never been, it's in east-central, far north-south Australia, some uh, 700 kilometres 
north of Adelaide, and it's a shallow lake in the vast Lake Eyre Basin, contains the lowest natural point in Australia at approximately 15 metres below sea level. And on the very rare occasion that it fills completely, it is the largest lake in Australia, which covers an area around about 9,500 square kilometres. And when the lake is full, it has the very same salinity level as seawater, but it becomes hypersaline as the lake dries up and the water evaporates. Did you know that? The lake was named in honour of Edward John Eyre, the first European to see it in 1840, and the lake's official name was changed in December 2012 to combine the name Lake Eyre with the Aboriginal name Katathanda, and the native title over the land and surrounding region is held by the Arabana people. Now, an interesting fact too, that Lake Eyre has a yacht club with a dedicated group of sailors who sail on the lake's floods, including recent trips back in 1997, 2000, right up to 2009. They're probably out there at the moment. A number of six-metre or 20-foot trailer sailors sailed on Lake Eyre in 1975, 76 and 84 when the flood depth reached three to six metres. In July 2010, the yacht club held its first regatta since 1976 and also the it's first on Lake Killakapuna, which is a fresh lake on Cooper Creek. The Cooper had reached Lake Eyre for the first time since 1990. It's estimated that these waters reached Lake Eyre roughly eight years in 100. And when the lake is full, there's a notable sort of phenomenon that around mid day the surface can become very flat the surface then reflects the sky in a way that leaves both the horizon and the water surface virtually impossible to see it's really spooky the commodore of the lake air yacht club has stated that sailing during this time has the appearance of sailing in the sky and the reason that Donald Campbell decided to go there was because of land speed record attempts, and that's not because it was full of water. It's been a site for various land speed record attempts on its salt flats, and these salt flats are similar to those found on the Bonneville salt flats in the US. And uh, we'll get to why Donald Campbell decided to go there with the Bluebird Proteus C, no, uh, CN7. rather. Now, if you've never heard the name of Donald Campbell, he was the son of Sir Malcolm Campbell, and they were absolute speed demons uh, attempting land and water or land and sea water speed records to be the fastest in the world and both attained that kind of stardom now Campbell in the 1950s and 60s he'd been through Bonneville at Utah but he found the course was too short at only 11 miles or 18 kilometers and the salt surface was in poor condition so BP offered to find another venue and eventually after a very long search Lake Eyre in South Australia was chosen now at that stage it hadn't rained there for nine years and the vast dry bed of the salt lake offered a course of up to 20 miles or 32 kilometres. So by the summer of 1962 Bluebird CN7 was rebuilt some nine months later than Campbell had hoped and it was essentially the same car but the addition of a large stabilising tail fin and a reinforced fibreglass cockpit cover. At the end of 1962, CN7 was shipped out to Australia ready for the new attempt. Now, low-speed runs had just started when the rains came. The course was compromised and further rain meant that by May 1963, Lake Eyre was flooded to a depth of three inches, causing the attempt to be abandoned. Now, Campbell was heavily criticised in the press for allegedly time-wasting and mismanagement of the project, despite the fact that he could hardly be held responsible for that unprecedented weather. To make matters worse for Campbell, the American Craig Breedlove drove his pure thrust jet car, the Spirit of America, to a speed of 407.45 miles per hour, or just over 655 kilometres an hour, at Bonneville in July of 1963. Now, although the car didn't conform to the FIA regulations that stipulated it had to be wheel-driven and have a minimum of four wheels, in the eyes of the world, Breedlove was now the fastest man on earth. 
So the race was on. Literally, Campbell returned to Australia in March 1964, but the Lake Air Course failed to fulfil the early promise it had shown back in 1962, and there were further spells of rain. So BP pulled out as his main sponsor after a dispute. We was able to secure backing from Australian oil company Ampole. Now, the track never properly dried out, and Campbell was forced to make the best of the conditions. So finally, in July 1964, he was able to post some speeds that approached the record. On the 17th of that month, he took advantage of a break in the weather and made two courageous runs along the shortened and still damp track, posting a new land speed record of 403.10 miles per hour, or 648.73 kilometres an hour. Unbelievable. The surreal moment that was captured in a number of well-known images by photographers, including Australia's Jeff Carter. Now, Campbell was bitterly disappointed with the record as the vehicle had been designed for much higher speeds. The car covered the final third of the measured mile in an average of 429 miles per hour, or 690 k's, peaking as it left the measured distance of over 440 miles per hour. He resented the fact that it had been so difficult. He said, we've made it, we've got the bastard at last, was his reaction to the success. And Campbell's 403 mile per hour represented the official land speed record. And if you have the opportunity to visit Lake Eyre, you'll find a plaque. And the plaque says, at Lake Eyre on July the 17th, 1964, in the gas turbine powered Bluebird, Donald Campbell broke the world speed record by attaining a speed of 640 kilometres an hour or 403.10 miles per hour. This was achieved despite great adversity on a strip of the Salt Lake bed about 20 kilometres north of this point, erected as a tribute to a brave man by Evan Green, project manager, and it was presented by Nissan Motor Company. And that was, um, you can still find that particular plaque at um, Level Post Bay at Lake Eyre. And Donald Campbell's 429 mile per hour speed on his final Lake Eyre run remained the highest speed achieved by a wheel-driven car up until 2001. And Bluebird CN7 is now on display at the National Motor Museum in Hampshire in England and its potential only partly realised. But Campbell was a man of vision, great vision, and he was obviously a fierce competitor. So after getting the world record at Lake Eyre, Campbell now planned to go after the water speed record one more time with Bluebird K7 to do what he had aimed for so many years ago. During the initial planning stages of CN7, he wanted to break both records in the same year. After more delays, he finally achieved his seventh world speed record on the last day of 1964 at a speed of 276.33 miles per hour at Lake Dumbleyung in Western Australia. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about Western Australia and Lake Dumbleyung. This is an interesting thing. It's a... I guess a tale of two extremely fascinating aspects of Lake Eyre in South Australia and then down to Lake Dumbleyung in the wheat belt of Western Australia where he took two world records in the same country in two different states. Back with more in just a moment. You're listening to the Roadless Travel Podcast with me, Nikki Shea. Fat Cat Media offers consultancy and advice. If you are a motocross racer, motorcycle racer, trying to get ahead in the sport, or perhaps you have a business in the motorcycle industry or you're hosting an event, a stage show, or a race meeting. With over 25 years industry knowledge and experience, we can help on a variety of platforms, whether it be as a racer or for those within the motorcycle and motorsport industry. We help you individually and your event with clear and 
strong strategic plans with direction on how to achieve your goals as a racer or hosting an event within the industry. The podcast is a proudly Australian, fiercely independent podcast, hosted and produced by me, Nikki Shea, for Fat Cat Media. We receive no corporate payments, which means we rely on self-sufficient financial support. If you can and are able to, we would love you to support us via Patreon. Listen to the Road Less Travel podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You're listening to the Road Less Travelled podcast with Nikki Shea. Now you will find Lake Dumbleyung just north of Katanning in Western Australia, uh, not too far from Cooker and Lake Grace um, in the Wheat Belt down from Kojanup, uh, sort of between Collie and Cookerin in the Wheat Belt of WA. It's got simple rules for Lake Dumbleyung, no dogs, no animals, no camping. You take your rubbish with you and you leave only your footprints. It is a fantastic place you can visit for the day, obviously water skiing, sailing, swimming, uh, kayaking, paddling, picnic uh, and walk around um Lake Dumbleyung, they also got a scenic drive which will lead you up to Pussycat Hill and here you'll be rewarded with a spectacular view of this expanse of water which is the largest body of inland water in Western Australia and whilst here you can visit the Granite Memorial dedicated to Donald Campbell. You can take a boat out to explore the vast stretches of water, have a refreshing swim as I said, water ski around the lake or paddle around a canoe to witness some of the 25,000 birds known to live on the water and then you can settle back on the shores of the lake for a picnic lunch. All roads are gravel and conditions may vary uh, so make sure that you um, take those restrictions into consideration when you head down to Lake Dumbleyung if you are in Western Australia. Now Dumbleyung area has really embraced the history of what happened uh, in 1964 and you can't miss the full-size bluebird replica as you drive through town. It's located opposite the Dumbleyung Community Resource Centre which is the old post office. It's housed in a large open-air shelter with wheelchair accessibility. The replica can be visited at any time of day or night and there is ample parking nearby as well as landscape gardens. There's interpretive panels which tell the story of the world record and the town's involvement and at night blue lights illuminate the shelter and the replica and don't forget to look up to see the Southern Cross in the ceiling above you. Now the Dumbleyum Community Resource Centre is home to the Bluebird Interpretive Centre where you'll find plenty more information on Donald Campbell and his records and it's open on the following hours. Entry to the display is free Mondays 9 to 4.30, Tuesdays to Friday 9 to 4. It's closed Saturday and Sunday and public holidays. That is bound to change though. And the Shire of Dumbleyung too has a new website just for tourists in the Dumbleyung district. And if you stop to view the Bluebird replica, there's now a drive map and brochure available to help you make the most of your visit. So this Bluebird replica was built in 2014 um, by Statewide Boating in Durian Bay and was a huge undertaking by the local family of Mark, his wife Hillary and son John, to get the dimensions correct with very few plans available of the original boat and to shape and build an accurate model. Now, Bluebird arrived at Dumbleyong on the eve of the 50th celebrations of Donald Campbell's World Water Speed Achievement in 1964. It was a huge event, was held, um, held, was held rather, many people, even some of Campbell's original team members um, from Barmera in South Australia, where Donald Campbell attempted the record earlier, returning to the town. The Bluebird replica was unveiled by Gina Campbell, which was, who's, of course, Donald's daughter and speed ace in her own right, Joan Ward, who was instrumental in suggesting Lake Dumbleyung to the Campbell team originally, and Owen Dare, who was a freeman of the Shire of Dumbleyung. Now, since then, there's been heaps of work behind the scenes to get a suitable shelter to be built to display the Bluebird replica as an or put a sense together Nikki as um we've spoken about and it provides a great tourist attraction to to Dumbleyung. 
Now, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a massive, it's a full-size replica of it, and the ramp up to the shelter's just been paved with pavers, and it's got all the names of the community members and businesses who have contributed to the Bluebird replica, and it is a fantastic sight to see. There's still some final work and information um, being done, but it does have a new home uh, for uh, for visitors to send to visit the centre rather, and as I said, they really are embracing the history of what happened in 1964. Now, there's actually a website that's been set up specifically to acknowledge the contribution of Donald Campbell and the. Um, record attempt and the obviously smashing of the record it's called dumbleyoungbluebird.com.au and that's where you'll find a whole wealth of information regarding the actual event and uh, as i said the town has really celebrated that aspect of their history and we have to ask yourself how did this englishman donald campbell break both land and water speed records in the same year well Lake Dumble Young, where Campbell broke both land and speed records in the same year, and I guess much has been written about Donald Campbell's final world water speed record attempt, which ended so tragic, so tragically, when Bluebird K7 uh, backflipped into oblivion on Coniston Water in January of 1967. But the Englishman's previous records at the attempts at the record have really, I guess, faded largely into obscurity. I actually forgot all about the fact that he had. Uh, gone to Barmer in South Australia and um, attempted the record there and then obviously up to Lake Eyre for the um, land speed record and then of course to Lake Dumbleyung in WA in December of 1964 and that was probably the most remarkable of these occurred. It already set the world red, world land speed record as we know in the Bluebird CN7 car on that dried out Lake Eyre in South Australia only five months earlier. He set out to do something which nobody had ever done before, and that was break the land and water speed records in the same year. The fact that he'd already held the world water speed record, which he had increased each year from 1955 up to 1959 to a peak of 260 miles per hour, didn't deter him one iota. If he succeeded in setting new land and water speed records in the same calendar year, something that even his famous father, Sir Malcolm Campbell, had never achieved, then surely it would deliver him the acclaim and the recognition that he seemed to so desperately seek out. He felt that he lived in the shadow of his father's record-breaking feats, which had earned him a knighthood and worldwide acclaim in the bleak post-war years. And even though Donald Campbell had achieved similar sort of success, it was now the first man to pilot a wheel-driven car at over 400 miles per hour on the treacherous surface of Lake Eyre. He apparently still felt the need to prove himself. But the times are changing at the age of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, moon rockets and jet planes. Donald Campbell's feats of bravery didn't really seem to capture the British public's imagination in quite the same way. That was until Australia, at least. After his torrid year, ultimately successful time in Lake Eyre, he was still a hero, and it was here that he planned to pull off the impossible. Now, initially, he took his Bluebird K7 to another lake in South Australia, Lake Bonnie in Barmera, for a September attempt at a new world water speed record. As at Lake Eyre, Campbell's early runs were beset with problems. Again, the weather refused to play ball with consistent high winds ruffling the surface, and if truth be told... Lake Bonnie probably wasn't large enough for the kind of speeds he was aiming for. Even when the wind wasn't blowing, continuous currents unsettled the surface of the water. 
But despite the dangers, on November 23, he managed to get Bluebird K7 up to 216 miles per hour, which although well short of his late Coniston world record of 1959, it was that, at that time, a new Australian record. But with time running out, he decided to relocate a different stretch of water, and that was Lake Dumbleyung in the heart of West Australia's wheat belt, about 1,600 miles to the west. So the long journey and the logistical nightmare of finding transport, finding the accommodation and the press support began once again in a place where the region tourist or regional tourist, or tourist board rather, still describes as out of the way, out of this world. So with few facilities on site, base camp really consisted of a handful of caravans. So let me put it in a little bit of spe- per- per- kind of put a sentence together today. Perspective. Lake Dumbleyung is set among a patchwork of fields full of gold, wheat and grazing sheep. Um, the small surrounding towns are kilometres apart and date back to the 1880s. It is beautiful countryside and reminiscent um, of nice English countrysides, but it also has a much grander scale with fields just massive and uh, you can drive for over an hour without seeing another living soul. Now, even in the 21st century, this region can be sometimes an intimidating place, often with nothing to keep you company other than flies and hot temperatures in December that rarely drop below 33. Having said that, after the stresses of Lake Eyre and the disappointment of Lake Bonnie, it must have been a pleasure for Donald Campbell and his depleted routine, although still including his wife Tonya and engineer Leo Villa, to arrive at Lake Dumbleyung. Now the lake is 13 kilometres long and at its widest it's 6.5 kilometres across, but in the 19th and early 20th century this saltwater lake was often without much water, much as it is today. But in 1964, heavy rains meant that the lake was full to brimming and it was perfect as long as the wind did not blow and the local duck population stayed away. Now, if you want to stay at Lake Dumbleyung, uh, at Dumbleyung rather, there's still only one option, the Dumbleyung Tavern. It was here that Donald Campbell spent Christmas 1964 and it was here where we decided to stop and have some lunch and have a look around in Dumbleyung and Lake Dumbleyung too. And if you have the opportunity to be in South Australia and visit Barmera in South Australia, you'll see Lake Bonnie. And in September, on rather September the 19th, 1964, the de- decision was made that Lake Bonnie would be the site for the world water speed record attempt. And the size of the situation of the freshwater lake was considered to be ideal to achieve Campbell's goal of the unique double after having broken the land speed record on Lake Eyre. Uh, at Lake Eyre rather on the sa- in the same year it's the only man I believe still to this day that holds both of those unique records for the same year eager for success Campbell made his dedicated team arrive at Barmer which was alive in preparation the district council was given exclusive use of Lake Bonnie for Campbell's attempt between November 14th and 20th it was towed into position were six large marker boys measuring 10 foot by 10 foot. They measured mi- The measured mile was marked by a red and yellow boy one mile before entering the measured mile. There was nine special police officers who were stationed in Ibarra along with the district telephone manager, postal manager, a pictogram unit along with extra ambulance. The Bluebird K7 was transported by road departing Adelaide on November the 6th along with the project team. Donald and his wife Tonya and project manager G. Ferret, that's his name, Mr. Ferret, arrived on November 12th by air landing on the 800-yard landing strip, which was prepared specifically for them by the Barmera District Council. Donald and the team who based themselves at the Barmera Community Hotel for the attempt duration were welcomed amid much fanfare. 
And there's also two, a monument was erected to commemorate Sir Donald Campbell's World Water Speed Record attempt at Lake Bonnie by the, in South Australia by the Barmer District Council. And the monument is located at Bluebird Cafe, which is the site in which the Bluebird was housed. The launch, the attempts, the frustration, the Bluebird entered the water for the first time since 1959 into Lake Bonnie on November the 12th, 1964. There was an earlier attempt to launch the boat, but that failed and the adjustments were made to the ramp at Bishop's Boatshed. A two-way radio was fitted to the Bluebird K7 to assist in the trial runs, and at 3.15am the team were readied, and the Bluebird was ready for its first official trial run by 4.30am. The town was a hive of activity with spectators and camera crews lining the shores. But as we heard earlier, the unfortunate choppy weather and choppy water hindered the trial, but Campbell indulged the large crowd by driving Bluebird out onto Lake Bonnie at low speed. Later in the morning, he did two runs reaching speeds of 210 miles per hour, and later in the afternoon, three attempts failed due to the water flooding the engine. Following a delay in radio communication and firing trouble, further attempts were cancelled for the day. It was then decided that the course would be altered, and on November 15th, work commenced on the alterations witnessed by a large crowd as trees were blasted out of the foreshore at Donald's request. With the weather against them, Campbell and his crew awoke to strong winds on November 17th and 18th, which resulted in the marker boys, which were anchored by large concrete slabs, being washed ashore. And so the setup began again. To alleviate the frustration, a charity event was held that night to which Campbell's decision to cancel the following tri- the following day's trial run. Now that information was not transferred to all the crew. The following morning saw them up early finding conditions ideal. The water of Lake Bonnie was like glass, the perfect base for a world record. And with this ideal opportunity missed, inclement weather followed and it was not until November 23rd when three runs took place, one of which recorded a speed of 216 miles per hour. Again, poor weather returned and it was this, along with the engine and navigational problems, which led to the team to source a new location which to break the world record and achieve that unique double. And as we know now, on December the 10th, 1964, the Bluebird, Donald Campbell and his team departed to Lake Dumbleyung in Western Australia. Now, Barmera is, or Barmera if you want to be posh, Barmera is a town in the Riverland region of South Australia. It's on the Stewart Highway, 220 kilometres northeast of Adelaide. It's primarily an agricultural and viticultural town, and it's located on Lake Bonnie, which is Riverland, a freshwater lake, and the population is around about, about 1,500 people. It's quite unknown where the name Barmera comes from, but it's suspected that it means water place or land dwellers, being a word from local Aboriginal people. Others postulate that it comes from the Abamaji being the name of the tribe that lived in the north of the Murray River prior to European settlement. Lake Bonnie was first seen by Charles Bonnie and Joseph Horden in 1838. They drove cattle along the Murray River and the lake was named after Bonnie. The land, however, was settled in 1859 with the establishment of the Overland Corner Hotel. It was a popular area with drovers that drove the sheep from New South Wales down into South Australia and then later a police station was also built to prevent and stop arguments between the indigenous population and the settlers. There was an irrigation system that was established in the town in 1921 and then that's when the town became gazetted. An influx of World War I veterans settled with promises of irrigated land from the government and a railway station was opened in 1928 and the town was then proclaimed in the same year. 
In World War II, an internment camp was established south of Barmera in Loveday and was one of the largest World War II camps in Australia. Now, it's a semi-arid location north of Goiter's Line and it's surrounded by Mallee Scrub. It's 29 metres above sea level and has a dry climate with hot summers and warm days and cold frosty nights in winter. And the seasonal temperatures are a few degrees above Adelaide's temperature and similar to those of Berry. The weather patterns are similar to those of uh, Berry in South Australia. As I said, it receives less than 250 millimetres of rain per annum and rain patterns shift from year to year over a 19-year cycle, they say. So that kind of wraps up a little bit about, I know it's not an Australian content, but certainly the Australian location of a world-famous a uh, record attempt to be held in Australia. First they started at uh, Lake Bonnie in South Australia, then they moved up to Lake Eyre where they broke the land speed record and then headed down to Lake Dumbleyung in Western Australia and took out the double by taking the world speed water champion, not championship, uh, record that was broken. And it also encouraged a new generation of speed demons, the likes of Ken Warby, an Australian motorboat racer. He actually holds the water speed record of 275.97 knots set on Blurring Dam in 1978. And as a child, Warby's hero was Donald Campbell. Donald Campbell rather so and then you get people like Roscoe McGlashan and and others who have gone out of their way to really sort of ramp up I know that Roscoe McGlashan he was sort of more of jet cars and so forth but it just encouraged a generation to come forth and attempt those uh, whirlwind daredevil kind of things uh, of record attempts and it happened here in Australia with uh, Donald Campbell taking out the double in 1964 what an amazing feat that still stands to this very day. The best way to get to Lake Eyre or Lake Eyre National Park is by plane. You can fly from Adelaide to South Australia and you can head to the underground opal town of Coobapedi. You could spend a couple of days exploring there, then hit the skies for a tour over Lake Eyre with Wrights Air or Chinta Air. And if you're an avid four-wheel driver, you can fly from Adelaide to Coobapedi. You can hire a car and follow the Outback Loop or simply experience a real outback with a four-wheel drive tour. Before leaving, though, please keep in mind that Lake Eyre is one of the most remote places in Australia, and uh, you really need to make sure that you prepare with all the outback uh, driving tips. One of the most popular, not to mention jaw-dropping ways to experience this natural wonder is on a Lake Eyre tour. You can choose from a range of specialised tour guides, such as Desert Sky Tours and the Mooka Observatory Experience, or you can experience an Aboriginal cultural tour at Wilpena Pound. Um, and then go out to Lake Eyre. As I said, it's 647 kilometres northeast of Adelaide. It's Australia's biggest salt lake and was formed approximately 200 million years ago. It's the lowest point between sea level on the Australian continent. And when the lake's water level is low, its glittering crystallised surface stretches as far as the eye can see. And when it's flooding, the water birds descend in their thousands. Fish actually converge in channels and the wildflowers just blanket the floodplains. And as the water begins to evaporate, the lake takes on a spectacular pink, um, which is caused by the pigment found within the specific type of salt-loving algae there. If you're going to visit there, you can do it. The best time to visit was when the outback rains have flooded it with water. And, and as I said, every three years they say, that it will do a small one and a half metre flood or a large four metre flood occurs every 10 years, usually in winter. And the lake only fills entirely three times every 160 years. It is absolutely fantastic. If you have an opportunity, make sure that you do visit Lake Eyre. You can stay at hotels such as on the Udnadatta Track, um, places like uh, William Creek Hotel, Mari Hotel. You can stay at Cooper Pedy, the Prairie Hotel in Parachuna. Uh, in the Flinders Ranges or plenty of other options, but uh, pack the swag and head up there yourself.
I hope you've enjoyed a brief visit to Lake Bonnie, uh, up to Lake Eyre, and then Lake Dumbleyung in Western Australia. Hope you've enjoyed it. Love to grab your feedback on a little bit about what we've spoken about here today with Donald Campbell, the Englishman who came to Australia. My name's Nikki Shea. Thank you so much for joining me on the Road Less Travel podcast, and I hope to catch you out there very soon. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. Take care. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. The Road Less Travelled is presented by Nikki Shea and produced by Fat Cat Media. 